Welcome to the Business of Buildings podcast, where passionate professionals in the building industry share knowledge and perspectives to inspire positive change in the places we live. In this episode, David Tomic is here to share with us what is involved in the professional architect registration process. He recently obtained his uh, architect status as a professional architect. Uh, he currently works at Concept Building Design and is a budding YouTube star in the architecture space. Let's listen in. Morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, David. How are you? Hello. Hey, you there, Jeff? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear Excellent. me? Hey, man, how I can are hear you? I'm good. How are you? Must have been a little st- delay in the start there. Happy Australia Day. Happy Australia Day. How's things? Yeah. Oh, they're good. They're good. What's your what do you what what do you love about Australia? Ah, at the moment, the freedom, I guess. The freedom to to move around. Really. The freedom to move around. The ability to not have to worry about what's going on in the world. The fact that we're so isolated has given us a prime opportunity to, yeah, be one of the luckiest countries in the world, I guess especially yeah, during a time like this. Oh, definitely. Mm. And I've, I've always loved the people here. I think, well, even we talk about our, our field, our profession. I remember coming here, was it um, 15 years ago? Everyone just gives you a fair fair crack, as they say. Yeah. They a fair do. opportunity. It's fairly easy to to just be given an opportunity here. That's That's why I've always loved it here. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Yeah, and the people here, you know, obviously, really lovely to get along with uh yeah and we are very lucky we're isolated from all that mess out there we are no we definitely and I found are. Now, more people are, are appreciative and grateful of of um just being able to settle here and not have to go travel overseas uh i think our economy is actually doing well right now yeah well i think that's exactly the reason why they're not traveling overseas and not spending that money elsewhere so they're keeping it within the state and yeah the state's yeah. benefiting significantly from it which is amazing to see Definitely. And I think our industry, uh, construction industry is going, going well as well. I know up in the Northwest, up in Port Hedland, Karatha, uh, there's quite a bit, of, a bit of a boom going on at the moment, which mm. we don't hear about here yet. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, that's probably a bit of an overlap of everything that's happening in the state is the money staying here. So people are also deciding to spend their money in the construction industry. People are building their dream homes that they didn't want to before or they wanted to spend that money on a holiday and mm. people in the commercial industry are keeping everybody in jobs so they're willing to spend that money and yeah it's creating a lot of jobs which is fantastic to see plus our state has been in a bit of a lull the last few years anyway yeah you know we were coming to the bottom of a you know a dip every australian city kind of seems to handball which economy is going to go strong mm. sydney and melbourne are at the top and they've kind of started coming down yeah it's really Really good timing for us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So then that's, I mean, I've had a few discussions. We've talked, I've talked to the building commission about their upcoming reforms. Uh, one of the, uh, I've talked to Engineers Australia as well. They're looking at trying to make, um, you know, mandatory registration for engineers and architects key to certification for building yep. permit. Yep. So we don't know how long that's going to take to, um, to be legislated. Mm. So we have an election coming up here in March, and obviously we, we know that the incumbent will get in based on his performance with COVID. Yeah. 
I'd be surprised if he, if he didn't. So, yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think many people already know what they're doing just based on the communication and ability mm. that they've shown during this crazy time. Correct. Yeah. So when we come through this next cycle of, of boom, which has already started, uh, this is why I wanted to talk to you today, because obviously you just um, obtained your architect registration. Yeah, correct. So I, I have an understanding, a little bit of a background of how involved that is. I mean, I have had friends and family in the U.S. that have become architects, and it's, it's, it's not an easy process, quite onerous. Yeah. So this is just an opportunity to, to share your experience, because I think you were working when you were going through this, right? I was, yeah. So... Obviously. So when did, when did you start? When did it start? Um, so to become an architect, it's a bit of a long journey. It took me eight years total. So I guess it all starts at university. There's multiple different pathways you can do, but I took the um, education route where I went to university and got my undergrad in architecture and then went further and did my master's in architecture. So that total process mm-hmm. takes about five years. And then obviously you have to come out to the profession and get some real world experience because they teach you a lot at university, but they don't teach you everything. So it's, mm. it's good to get into the, into the real world and start talking to people like yourself and start really learning how the industry works. Um, so I guess I've been in the industry now for three years before I was actually able to become a registered architect. And there was many steps along the way. I think it all starts yeah, day one as you get a job. So you have to actually start logging and tracking every single minute of your day and every single job that you've ever done and um, match that. Again and then do, do, does Rob sign off on that experience? He doesn't have to actually. So I worked okay. for those who are listening to the podcast and don't have any background knowledge. Yeah. Rob is your, your boss. Yeah. Rob is my boss and, he is an experienced building designer, but he isn't a registered um, architect. And mm-hmm. in Australia at the moment, you don't have to work under a registered architect. You just have to do um, your architectural work and be able to sign off and log all those hours. Mm-hmm. So previously, you actually had to work under an architect and they found it very tedious and very difficult for young graduates to actually become registered because there wasn't enough architects willing to take that time out of their busy day to actually train these people. Mm, um, interesting. So I think the Institute made it a little bit easier for people to become registered, but they provided a lot more resources. Okay. Um, so for me, towards the end of the whole process, not to jump ahead, but um, the industry provided almost a whole nother training seminar. It was 40 or 50 hours worth of live video content that you could interact with the tutors. And there was a thousand odd pages on documentation and everything that you just had to read through and really understand. So it was like Mm -hmm. prepping for a whole nother exam, but having all that information at hand, which was really, really good and really useful. Oh yeah. Um, So yeah, for us, it was to be able to become registered architect. There's three stages or three different gates you have to pass. The first one is 3,300 logged hours of architectural practice. Um, Towards the end of mine, I think I had almost 6,500 hours just because I don't think you learn enough in 3,500 hours. I know it seems like a lot. It's two years full time. But at the same time, that's, yeah, it's not a lot in the industry because there's just so much to learn, as you'd know. Well, you know, in every project, the most majority of the time, it's um, 
there's a lot of admin involved there is. in these projects. There is, yeah. You know, the time doing the actual work is where, what you want to be doing more of. It's not it's not 100% of your time on the job. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and then that's probably the easiest part of the whole process of just logging hours and doing your job, I guess, especially if you're employed by somebody else. Um, it's only a matter of time that you'll reach that minimum threshold. And then they start actually yeah. testing your ability. So the second stage is you have to go and sit a um, desktop exam. You go into an enclosed room, you sit down, there's 40, 50 odd people around you and they just start testing you on a number of different scenarios. So they'll give you a scenario about the building industry and something that might have occurred and they want to see what your response is. And it's just a multiple choice exam, um, which personally isn't my favorite. They always seem to try and trick you with the questions. Yeah. So, do you bring any text you can to that? Is it open? No, nah, absolutely nothing. It's a closed book exam. So you literally just have to go off your memory and um, they test you to see how much you genuinely know. Wow, that's interesting. So what, what, I'm just trying to think what type of questions they'd be asking. Uh, so, they're not talking regulation or standards or they're talking more scenario-based? They're talking based more scenario-based. Like they're really trying to stay away from policies because it's Australia-wide, that exam. So oh, they yeah, replicate yeah. the same questions for all the different states. So they don't really want to get bogged down in legislation. But for example, they might ask you a scenario-based question on site. If a builder was to go and pour a slab and the engineer wasn't happy with the sign off, what ability do you have and what power do you have and what can you say to the builder and things like that. Um, mm. So the, it's predominantly based on project management, I guess, more so than anything. They don't test you anywhere in your ability to design as an architect, they don't really care if you're good at design. They just genuinely seem to yeah. care if you're going to go out into the world, make big mistakes, make big arrogant calls, um, get the profession into strife and get yourself into strife. I guess they're trying to avoid people being sued as best as possible. Well, this is like upholding yeah. the profession. I think they're pushing, looking for integrity. They are, and that's exactly it. They're looking for people who are willing yeah. to step up and, have that title, I guess, that is a protected title, but at the same time, um, they're not going to make a mess of that title. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. And to be able, to be humble as well. Yeah, exactly. In, in, in a exactly. To know when. That's kind of the thing across the board, I think, is, is the key to the industry going forward. Well, I think, you know, being able to communicate with confidence and integrity and doing the right thing as opposed to trying to appease and keep the peace and... Mm. Yeah, there's a there's a balance there. There's a, there's a there's a fine line. Well, I think you'd know for from experience that there's a lot of people out there that just get a bad name because they won't admit when they're wrong and they'll just keep digging the hole deeper and deeper. Whereas it's okay yeah. to not know everything and ask a consultant their professional questions. Like, definitely. I don't know much about engineering, so I come to you, Jeff, and I ask those questions. Like, yeah, it's, definitely. It's, Exactly. It's not my job to know everything. It's not your job to know everything. And as long as we have that ability to step back and go, yep, okay, I don't know everything, but I know people do and they can help. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've seen this when it got coming up through in WA and the younger, if, if you're thrown in positions earlier than you're mm. meant to be, then you're kind of trying to protect that role. It's a bit of a fear. There's fear and ego yeah. involved. So sometimes people would be put in compromised positions where they can't actually speak up for themselves. Yeah, this is true. That, and this is why like going down the registration process is really important. You you establish that credential, so 
it, it kind of brings a level of respect yeah. with it. So they will listen to you more than more than not. Yeah, well, I guess it, not always. Exper- experience matters. Exper- we know yeah, that. experience does definitely matter. But I think people understand that yeah. if it is a protected title, like they know that they're coming to this person with confidence that they've done the training, they know what they're doing, they're experienced enough to be able to have that title. So I do think the registration process yeah. and the protected title, in a sense, is a good thing for all professionals who have some sort of title or another. Well, what it's proven is that you're, you're willing to put the hard exactly. yards in for – so you have a duty of care to yeah. the profession, and then your, then your duty is to the public exactly. from here. From exactly. Here on in. Yeah. So it's proof of that um, that level of passion that you have for the, for the, the, yeah. the career. Yeah, and that's, this, that's this where path. the last stage of the whole registration process comes in. So the first stage is obviously that 3,300 hours. The second stage is that um, online exam. And the third stage is an interview with two highly experienced architects just asking you question after question for about an hour straight. Um, I think personally I've taken that exam twice. I took it once at the very start when I did 3,300 hours. I was trying my best to become an architect as quickly as possible. Um, But they can obviously see through it when you don't know enough. They can just – they just know by talking to you. Um, so I think I was humbled by that experience as much as I was saddened by it. At the same time, I, I knew that I didn't know enough and I appreciated the fact that they were able to differentiate between the two. It was good to do yeah. it early because then you knew what yeah, to expect. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't want to be one of those people that was 10 years down their track and was still working their way through the registration process. I was pretty eager to get it completed. Um, yeah, just, good, good for you. Yeah, a lot of people, it's very difficult with balancing business and family yeah. and work and commitments to, to maintain that it motivation. Is definitely. Um, yeah. But yeah, the second yeah. time I took that interview, I was a lot more confident and knew all the answers. They basically just run you through everything from starting your own business to running a project until you hand it over for the final day. So they expect you to know almost every single detail from a business side, even if you're not running your own business, which I don't know. I think there's a, is a very good thing because a lot of people don't understand how businesses work. They don't understand that you can't just sit around and do nothing and still make money. You have to actually do work to make money. So, um, Correct. yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. the fact that – Do you have to do any, any case study? I, I've helped some architects in the past when, who they were going for registration and I'd, I'd give them some input for mechanical. They had to work up a mock mm-hmm. building. Is that true mm-hmm. or is that – No, that must pathway? be a different pathway. Yeah. yeah, must have been. But yeah, okay. the the process is relatively simple when you think about it. It just takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to learn every little um, piece of the puzzle. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So sixty five hundred hours in the yeah. exam. In the exam, were they asking ethical questions? In, yeah, there were well? a couple of ethical questions. Like um, I think there's about sixty questions in total, and genuinely, only maybe two or three were about ethics. Um, but I'm assuming those ethics questions were quite heavily weighted. Um, And they did ask questions about when and when you can't use the title as an architect. So obviously without being registered, you can't use the title. Once you're registered, where you have to put it, how often you have to use it. Um, So where does your registration lie with? Does it, it doesn't, does it register with AIA? uh, 
Or that's just a registered with the Architects Board of Western Australia. So. Oh yeah. Okay. AIA is just. Well, the AIA is the Australian governing body. Um, it's the yeah. Institute of Architects. And as an architect, you have to actually become registered in each individual state if you want to work there. So I don't know if that's similar oh, yeah. with engineers, yeah. but yeah, if we wanted to go work in. Well, it is in it is yeah, in the United but States. Not here. In the U.S., you have to you can get your PE or registration, and then you have to actually each state you have to get it recognized or take another yeah, test okay. to then get it. Because California has a earthquake yeah. rules and regulations that are different yeah, from the rest no, of the country. Sense. But here in Australia, um, yeah, we can we can work no, in any state. That's brilliant. Yeah, we have to go and well, yeah. basically the process is just paying some fees and signing some paperwork, but. Yeah, we can't call ourselves architects in any other state until we're registered there. Oh, yeah, yeah. fair enough. That's good. Wow, so, very good. That's Congratulations on that. that thanks, Jeff. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy. I've, I've worked, you know, I've been mm. in this industry a long time, so I know it's it's not an easy no. process. I won't name it. I know a couple that have been <laughs> trying for 10 years and just haven't yeah, done it I yet. Think you have to... They've tried and failed and they, they gave up. Yeah, well, it is heartbreaking, like I said. I, I did fail once and it was very early on in my career, but at the same time that it drove me to keep going because I knew once I failed, that's something I definitely wanted. Yeah. yeah oh, that's, that's a test. Yeah. It's like a litmus test for you. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Engineers Australia is it's similar that way. They're, they, um, you, you have to log hours. The only difference, and this is something I've been talking to them about, is okay. that there is no exam, which I don't, I don't necessarily agree with, because I, um, I mean, not to talk about me, but just to give a, a relative comparison between the yep. U.S. for engineers and here, because the architect registration process in the U.S. is very okay. similar to here, from yep. the way you've explained it to me. Uh, yeah, very long process, but here you don't have to sit an exam. So you just complete engineer hours you, or you prove the, yeah, yeah. You prove the hours, but then you do write, respond to questions against projects you've worked yeah, on. Okay. And then the interview, which is why I asked, is based on the presentation of your queries, your question responses against yeah. the projects. So the idea of the interview is that they just want to prove that you're the one yeah. writing the responses. And I've, I've sat many of these panels, so I've been on the, the table asking the questions. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't give any... Uh, proof that there's an ability to answer or solve mm, problems. That's interesting. I feel like yeah, engineers yeah. are having to deal with a lot more um, pressure, I guess, from the industry as well. Like if something goes wrong, the engineer is usually the first to blame, which is, yeah, without yeah, having a yeah. test and without testing your ability, that's somewhat concerning. But I mean... But the reason I bring that up is architects, registered architects and registered engineers really, you know, in an ideal world, should yeah. be leading the industry, right? But so then the first step is to to make sure that registration process is, um, has character and it's mm. legitimate. And it, well, it, oh, not legitimate, it's given yeah. a level of respect. So I think the architect registration, definitely. Engineers, I don't know if anyone knows how much is involved. And then we get to the query of, as a registered architect or a en registered engineer, um, how, how, how do you differentiate yourself in the market with that? 
like if you're a client, you're looking for architects or mm. designers for a project um, or engineers. What, what, how, how are you differentiating? I think it, to a client. Why would I think they, that why becomes would they a very difficult question, especially in modern times. Like, yes, we have to go through rigorous testing and we have to upkeep a lot of professional development. I know engineers, I think it's about 40 hours for you guys and it's only 20 hours for us per year. Um, but it becomes a very difficult question. And I think more so it's now becoming more of a personality and a persona thing. So people are looking for architects and engineers that fit their um, vision, their dream. So yeah. especially with architects, it's, if I agree. it's yeah, so opinionated. It doesn't matter how good of an architect you are or how good you, you think your designs are. Somebody out there is going to think they're terrible and, they're never going to choose you because it's just not their style. They're going to pick somebody completely different. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, it becomes yeah. a marketing question and a completely different um, profession in itself that's required to help, yeah, push that presence. It's yeah, yeah. it comes down to relationships, doesn't it? It's who you know, like exactly. trust. That's who you're going to go with. So with the, the registered engineers and architects, the, I don't actually know. I don't think we know how many are in the state. It would be an interesting statistic to work out how many, like what percentage are registered architects and engineers versus those that are not, yeah. that are in the field. Because we know there's so many, there's so many great skills here. It doesn't matter not, if you do have a registration or not. Yeah. You know, it, you know? So this is just, I only pose the question because it's a question I've been asking myself. Like, and I've, I've talked to Bronwyn from Engineers Australia and I said the same thing, you know, not in a negative, like how are, how is Engineers Australia going to support us if we're mm. going to maintain this registration? You know, well, what is the advantage? Because I always say, I always yeah. want to give back to them. How yeah. are they going to support us? And I thought the key, the key that I've seen, it might be wrong, is communication is kind of the core of, of where our industry yeah. can really improve because we're not in engineering and architect. They don't really give us any um, training no. on communication skills. And then that's pretty much like I talked about it. It is. Yeah. Do. I think to take it back to the whole pandemic yeah. and the level of the government, I think speaking from a Western Australian point of view, the government actually did an incredible job of communicating everything that's going on and visual graphics and providing that on social media. I think if that was replicated to the same effect by the architects board and the engineers board and people out there genuinely knew what the process was and how it worked and every detail, that communication would go a long way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because there's yeah, so many clients that, that come in and, don't have a clue what the process is. They don't even know where to start. They just say, oh, we want to build a house, but what happens after this conversation? So I think it's a lack of education um, on the actual board's behalf and as a community as a whole. Mm. Yep, yep, definitely. Yeah, keeping well, engineers can be better. Like keeping the message simple, and well, this is one that came up the other day. I won't name a project, but I remember when I was at previous, like a larger international consultancy, where we write these long reports mm. and briefs that go into the system. You know, the bigger the project, there is more. Um, you know, there's more. Yeah. Fees, but also more lost time. 
So there's more meetings. Doesn't Correct. mean necessarily things are productive. So there's lots of reports going back and forth across the tables that are not necessarily getting fully vetted and read. Yeah. It's just part of ticking the boxes. And I always thought, well, man, maybe just rate, maybe say, do you want a report? Or maybe you just want a colorful sketch that will really clarify what yeah. you're trying to relay. You can really do it. Um, it can be very simplified. It doesn't have to be an onerous technical report with lots of words in it that yeah. will confuse everyone. See, this is part of that communication training that I, I think, well, not training, yeah. but communication we can improve. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. There is a lot of documentation that's We're, almost not required once you know what's in it and you're only looking for one or two pages out of 100. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then by doing that, we actually can, can achieve more because we're always yeah, time poor on a lot of these projects. And then you're also going to educate more by simplifying because if you, if the other party, the other professionals on the industry, on the, on the project start, they might absorb more information yeah. if it's easy to, to, to take up. I think there's also a fine yeah, balance yeah. there. There's giving not enough information and giving too much information. The balance is always getting just the right amount. Mm. Mm. Definitely. That's, that's right. That's spot on. Cool. So you have to maintain your do you have 20 yeah, hours, 20 hours of continuous professional development, which has to be um, formal training. So most of them have to have some sort of test or questionnaire at the end so they know you've actively engaged. Some of them can be just simple product um, demonstrations that carry weight as a CPD point. But, yeah, most of them have to be um, okay. some sort of class, I guess. Mm. okay and then as an architect like what is your your vision for the future obviously i know you're you're working mm. with rob and you're you're happy you're content there but your your philosophy going forward like what you love architecture what do you when you were a kid or when you were at that point where you realized i want to do this like what was your ideal view of the type of buildings you would create are you more into residential are you more into i think it's, it's funny do it's you a have... funny question because it has changed it has changed has so changed? much originally when I was at university, I wanted to be the Ted Mosby, the one designing the skyscrapers of the world. Um, but the more I looked into it and the more I find out about what large commercial architects do, it's less and less of what I want to do. And I came out of university wanting to do commercial design and yourself and myself have worked on a couple of commercial projects and I really enjoyed them. But as I progress, mm -hmm. I think I enjoy the commercial quite a bit, but I also enjoy the luxury residential with the one-on-one -on -one with the client and really getting to experience and enjoy the project with them just as much as they do. I think that. Mm. Yeah. Cause there's more emotion involved in a resident. That in itself residential, is right? a whole it's hurdle more... because the emotion yeah. can become a problem, but at the same time, it's that excitement yeah. and the joy that the residential clients have just gives you that excitement and joy to continue designing and to continue creating something amazing Whereas I feel like in the commercial space, it's all about yield and mm. it, sometimes it becomes a little bit draining, even though it's it's such a busy field that there's so much to do and so much to create. It's, yeah, it's driven by numbers more so than the pure architecture that it could be. And, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I mm. feel that. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm similar to that. It is. It becomes, it's more business than it's. 
they're actually going to occupy this building and their family will live there. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my philosophy. Like, I think if we bring a bit of that flavor to the commercial sector and not to do it from a, you know, a hairy fairy stance, but mm. by having, bringing a little bit of that in, will actually pr- create a better solution for the end user. And then I think it's becoming more and more common now. and it's probably a bit to do with social media and um, the fact that people are drumming in business using pretty pictures, I guess, to dumb it down a little bit. Um, I think we're seeing more commercial yeah. with a bit well, more this... spice and a bit more flair nowadays. Yeah. This is something we can both think about. You, and maybe you can offer some ideas, but it goes back to that. You have what you were explaining is there's heart in the middle of the yeah. design because you're connected with the client and their family is going to move in. You, you brought you brought heart into it. So how do you do that in a commercial development? I have a, I'm working mm. on a, a few daycares at the moment. So a couple of them are just your stock standard, yeah. you know, quick design, yep. turn it around type thing, DNC. There is one where the team is actually really, um, you know, we're all getting along. It's quite a unique project. It's a heritage building that's going to be expanded on. And, um, you know, just immediately I get lots of ideas and I think everyone involved is interested in the project. Yeah, of course. Uh, budget's of course. still thrown around. You know, there's a budget you have to work to. But I thought, and I've got a couple options on the table. But if, if we were to actually. Not yet, no. Because I have kids. I don't, do you have kids yet? Not yet. Okay. As, as a parent, I always, I can visualize my kids being in that, that daycare. So I'm thinking from that standpoint and I'm sure everyone else yeah. that has kids is involved. They're probably thinking the same, but what if we literally brought it into like the design meeting and had it, you know, this is, this is who we're going to be designing this for. Not for the, not for us, not yeah. for the developer, for these kids. Yeah. No, that's... Just putting a face to it. It doesn't have to be anything big but at a kickoff meeting something like that would really start motivating and driving well would personalize a it a little bit more everybody's kids were there you'd you'd see that behind all these business professionals were humans that were loving and caring and at the end of the day they were going home to their families so hmm. I, I think that would definitely bring some heart into projects like yeah. that especially being in a heritage building it makes it a little bit more um complicated but at the same time a more of a story Mm. exactly yeah definitely and then it's not just about yeah. the end it's about everyone enjoying it yeah. more enjoying the process more and those jobs yeah yeah exactly that's, that's what those, I was about to say those they're, are the jobs you remember the ones yeah yeah the ones you remember the ones you learn from yeah. I always say like we don't know everything if you can get on a project where it's a bit challenging but you have a, a, a clear goal in mind it's a higher goal you're learning mm. you're challenged that's the best project. There's nothing to do with the fee. Cause I always look at, as I've been doing, I've been in this you know, trading on my own since 2012. I think about the projects I've really yeah. enjoyed. They tend to be the smaller projects. Yeah. And when you think back on them, you don't really even yeah. remember the fee unless you've lost a lot of money on them. You remember them. But... I were... No, yeah, exactly. You remember the, you remember the team. Yeah, exactly. It's always the people and that's who you're working with. Yeah. Even more than the actual end result of the building. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome, man. Well, that's, um, yeah, that was no, great. I just, that was a, I, thanks for your time. I just wanted to do a bit of a kind of an intro to the registration process for architects. No worries at all. I, hope I really I appreciate your time on Australia Day. Hopefully, some people can benefit from it. Yeah, you did. So, if you want to, if you have any links or any uh, information you want to share out where people can connect with you, obviously, Bob is 
young. We'll get an audience yep. eventually. We're just building a library of resources. So in time, people can find you. Just send me information you want to share, and I'll put it yeah, on. Yeah, sounds the, good. I'll send you some information on the podcast after this, notes. Jeff. And then um, yeah, Excellent. I'll That'd send you this as well. I'll edit this and send it through to you. So we're going to have a bit of a breakfast barbecue and yeah, just sit out and enjoy the sun. It's a beautiful day today. So yeah. Right. Definitely. The puppy, my, my puppy's <laughs> going to get a, a grooming here in the next hour <laughs> for Australia day. <laughs> oh, lovely. That's his Aussie day. And then I might do a couple, I've got two yoga classes oh, and probably go to yeah, the beach. I mean, Got to go to the beach, not today. Today, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's right. No all right, worries man, at all. We'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch, man. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, bye. Thanks for listening to the Business of Buildings podcast. Thanks to David Tomic for sharing with us what it takes to become a professional architect. We look forward to sharing more perspectives and knowledge in future episodes. Stay tuned.